Hey, we're Phil and Meredith, and we're the pastors here at Cornerstone Church. We're excited to be coming to you through this platform today. We hope that your heart is encouraged, that your faith is stirred by what God speaks to you today. God bless you. Enjoy the message. And more than just getting to go on a walk this last week, I got in my first two runs in several months as I begin to inch my way back in to working out and to exercising, and I was thrilled. First of all, the weather was great here in Ohio. Summer apparently has finally come. Bless the Lord. Yes, it's worthy. <laughs> so I got outside and I was starting to run, but anyone who has ever taken a couple of months off of working out knows that what you have imagined in your mind that your body can do and what your body can do after taking off some time is two totally different things. As gyms around here opened back up, maybe some of you got back into the gym and you thought, oh, I'm gonna get in and I'm gonna start lifting whatever weight you were at a couple months ago before your gym closed. And I bet you got in and your body quickly let you know you're not going to be lifting that particular number weight today. Just like I started moving and I thought, oh, I'm gonna go for this distance and my body quickly let me know we're not gonna go quite that far today. Let's slow the roll. But as I started running and as I started moving, I was thinking about the power of pace. I was thinking about how we rebuild certain muscles. I was thinking about how we accelerate into certain spaces. And, and I started thinking about what causes me to slow down in some seasons and what causes me to accelerate. And as I was wanting to push, I started thinking, what would what would allow me, what would cause me to accelerate in the midst of this season? And while my body felt like it was reaching kind of its maximum capacity, while my muscles felt heavy and thick and lethargic, that, that I realized that if I saw one of my kids running towards traffic, for example, I would find a different level of acceleration that that moment, that experience would become an accelerant in my life and in my situation. And suddenly there would be a level of pace, a level of push that I didn't feel like I could reach without it. See, accelerants are these moments, these things, these situations that press into our lives and cause it to react and to respond different than the way that we thought we could. We thought that we were at where we needed to be. We thought that we were pressing as hard as we could and then an accelerant came into that moment maybe yours isn't something like running but maybe you're a young guy and you've been working away at your debt and you think it's going to take you this long and suddenly you decide that you have met the love of your life and you are ready to get engaged that desire for that person becomes an accelerant in your situation. And all of a sudden, what you thought was gonna take you 18 months, you get done in, two, in six months because the accelerant of the moment is pressing you on. Really, when we think of accelerants, we think of, of it in a chemical sense. We think of flames and a fire is my first image when I think of an accelerant because a fire is something that is burning. It might be going on a track. It might be burning at a certain heat or a certain rate. But if you add an accelerant, it creates a chemical response to that fire that increases its pace, that increases its trajectory, that increases its power and its force. 
And fire speaks to us in the, throughout scripture of the power and of the presence of God. What is coming to accelerate the power and the presence of God in our lives? And when I think of fire, I can't help but think of the prophet Elijah who called down fire from heaven. And it became this demonstrated witness of who God was. Now, come on, when we're talking about muscles that have atrophied a little bit, you're pretty quiet in this room this morning. Some of you are telling on yourselves that you have not been sitting at home participating. You've let that muscle get a little bit weak. If you're joining online, you've got a few more weeks to build your muscle back up. We're gonna keep growing together, but I wanna hear from you this morning. When I say that the power of God is coming into our lives and that he's going to accelerate us in this season, that he is sending a moment that will press us forward into something and that Elijah teaches us about the power and the presence of God. I wanna turn to 1 Kings 18 this morning. It's where we see this story. And I love, part of what I love about Elijah is just his raw boldness. Elijah, I was listening to some of Dr. King's old messages over the past couple weeks, and Dr. King said this line that monkeys are for entertainment, preachers are not. And he went on to say, you know, talk about how preachers need to preach what God puts in their hearts. And when I heard that, I thought about Elijah because Elijah is like, this is what God told me to do. This is what I'm doing. I don't wanna hear about it. I have nothing else. Elijah comes on the scene of the biblical narrative calling for a drought. No backstory, no ramp up, no, no communicating. We don't get any, Elijah comes on the scene and says, there's gonna be a drought. Talk about someone who steps into the boldness of the moment of what God told them to say. He comes out and says, God is not happy with the way that you have been acting and there will be a drought. No explanation required. My name is Elijah and I have been called by God and moves forward in boldness. And then we see three years of a drought and finally God speaks to Elijah that the drought is going to end, but first he wants to declare who he is to all of Israel. And so Elijah comes and this is kind of where we pick up in the story and he confronts Ahab and he calls for the ultimate showdown on the top of Mount Carmel. He says, I want you to bring all the priests and the prophets of Baal up to the top of the mountain. I'm gonna come to the top of the mountain, call Israel so that everyone can watch and witness what's getting ready to happen. We're gonna bring forward two sacrifices and whoever's God brings down fire to burn up the sacrifice, that will be the evidence of the truth of their God. So they come up to the top of the mountain and Elijah lets the prophets and the priests of Baal go first uh, to, to demonstrate and to try and call down from their God. This is where we pick up in verse uh, 25, I believe is yeah, where we're gonna start. It says, then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose for yourselves one bowl and prepare it first for you are many and call upon the name of your God. There were many prophets of Baal, but there was only Elijah standing there. Elijah felt alone, although he wasn't alone, but it reminds me that it's not always the strength in numbers, it's the strength of the God that you are walking with in that moment. And he says, but put no fire to it. And they took the bull that was given to them and they prepared it and they called on the name of Baal from morning until noon saying, oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no voice and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made. And at noon, Elijah mocked them. 
which I always find is so funny. This great priest and prophet of God is now mocking other people. I think my husband finds great relief in this because he likes to talk a little bit of trash talk when he's like playing sports and stuff. And at least he has a scriptural reference for how you are allowed to mock your opponents. If Elijah did it, it must be worth doing every now and then. And he says, cry aloud for he is God. Either he is musing or he is relieving himself or he is on, that's like talked up, translated version for maybe he's going to the bathroom. Come on, Elijah. It says, and maybe he is on a journey or perhaps he is asleep and he must be wakened. And I think that the psalmist must have been thinking of this moment when they said, we serve a God who neither sleeps nor slumbers. He must have been thinking of this moment when Elijah said, maybe your God who's not answering you has gone asleep and can't be roused, but there is a God who neither sleeps nor slumbers when it feels like you're in a desperate situation. You don't have to cry out to him in emptiness. You can cry out to him with confidence that he will respond to you, that he will answer you, that he is waiting on the edge of heaven to get involved in your moment, in your situation. I'm grateful for a God who is alert and awake and ready to be inserted into my moment. It says, and then they cried aloud and they began to cut themselves after their custom with swords and with lances until the blood gushed upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering, but there was no voice and no one answered and no one paid attention. And the stark contrast that we see that as the group of them moves around the altar that they have prepared for Baal and they begin to cut themselves and they begin to mutilate themselves in an attempt to get his attention all the while Elijah is standing over there as a priest of Yahweh the one true God who is forbidden to cut or to mutilate himself under the Levitical law because even under the weight of the law God wanted to make it clear that you're an image bearer of who I am. Don't you dare begin to mutilate yourself. Don't you dare begin to harm yourself. Don't you dare begin to cut on yourself. And Elijah was standing there forbidden from doing what they were doing in an attempt to reach out to their God. And the contrast goes even more because while their God asked of them or they felt that their God asked of them to cut themselves and to mutilate themselves in order to get his attention and Elijah was forbidden from doing it by the Levitical law and we would have a God that came to be bruised for our transgressions, to be pierced because of our sins, who would go all the way to the whipping and to the lashing and to the death on a cross to see himself harmed rather than putting us in harm to come back into right relationship. And all the while this theatrical experience is going on, God is showing a picture of who he is and who foreign gods are and what they're calling and asking for. And Elijah is standing and watching and waiting for his turn. And after no one has answered and no one has paid attention, finally it becomes Elijah's turn. And he says to all of the people, come on and come near me. And then he began to walk out, preparing a place for God to pour out his fire. The first thing that Elijah does is it says that he repaired the altars of God that had been torn down. 
It tells us that he went and repaired. See, Jezebel had come in and had torn down the altars of God as she tried to exalt and lift up the name of Baal in Israel. And she tore down those altars. And so Elijah said, before we go any further, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to step into this space and I'm going to repair the thing that has been torn down by Jezebel. I don't know if you've ever had to fix something that somebody else messed up, but it can be pretty frustrating. It's one thing to fix something that you know that you messed up. It's another thing to have to go fix something that somebody else messed up. I have little kids, and so I get a lot of, but I'm not the one who got that out. I'm not the one who played with that toy, to which my answer is always the same. I don't care who got it out. I don't care who made the mess. I want it cleaned up. And we find ourselves as the people of God in a place where it is our role to begin to repair things that have been torn down, things that have been messed up in generations before us. Maybe someone in your family got things out of line, but guess what? Now you're here and you get to repair that place. Maybe you're at a workplace and someone else made a decision that got the accounts out of line, but now you're there so you get to repair that place. Maybe we find ourselves in a nation where generations before us made rules and regulations that allowed an environment for racism to breed in our culture. But guess what? We are here now and it's our responsibility to clean up the mess and say we will repair the places. So Elijah begins to repair the place before he goes any further. And then it says that he gathered 12 stones He gathered 12 stones and brought them in. He gathered them together. The 12 stones were a reminder of the heads of Israel, of the 12 households of Israel, of the order of God. He brought those 12 stones in to speak of the order of God as well as the people of God. And more than just being a reminder to them of their past, it was a reminder to them of who they were meant to be. Because when God gathered together the 12 stones, he called those 12 stones gathered together the people of Israel, the people who he had put his name on top of, the people who he had called and who had chosen as his own. But in this moment in the history of Israel, they're not a united people, they're a divided people. They had gone and divided themselves into a northern and a southern kingdom. And and as Elijah gathers these stones, he's saying, it's God's desire for you to be united together. Let me remind you that you're not a part of the stones. You're not a part of the people of God, but that God has called you and he has named you and he has drawn you together to be his people. And even today I hear God saying, I have called you and I have named you and I have drawn you together to be my people. Even as you stand in separate places, don't let that speak to you of the separation of God, but that he has called us his people with his name on top of us, with his name declared over us. And then Elijah built an altar. He built a new altar for this moment, for this place that he was calling God's presence into. He said, God, if I'm going to call your presence and your fire into this moment, there is a new altar that I need to build. There's a new place that I need to build for you to pour out the right now moment into this right now place. 
And so he began to build that altar. And as I look at all of the things that have moved and that have changed, all of the spaces that we have stepped into as a church, both our church and the church globally over the last few months, I hear God calling us to build new things for a new moment as he pours out. One of our culture points is that we are local and global. And and is my favorite word in that phrase right there because I love that we serve an and God. That he says, yes, this and that. Yes, you and them. Yes, here and there. That everywhere we go, we find an and God who wants to add and connect to what we're doing. And while we're moving towards opening physical locations and stepping back into the buildings and the places that locally God has given us, we have found a new, stronger space as also being the and global church that is reaching beyond our local borders and into all the world and all the way across our nation and everywhere that you can go. We have a God that has planted us for such a time as this to build a church that has power present and locally and power that extends anywhere that the internet can reach, anywhere that your device can go, anywhere that you can share a podcast or a YouTube link. We have an and God that is speaking to us about building some new things some new altars where he can pour his presence in this season. And then Elijah calls them and he says, we're now in verse 33, after he put the wood in order and he cut the bowl and he laid it out on the wood. And Elijah said, fill jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering of wood. And this is the part where I think Elijah is going to call them to fill the jars with some kind of a fire accelerant. Now the rules of the showdown that Elijah has called are that they can't light the fire, God has to light the fire. But if I'm Elijah, I'm gonna do everything I can to position God in the strongest possible spot, right? I'm gonna make sure I get the driest wood that has been around in the land and I'm gonna make sure it has excellent tinder around it. And then for good measure, I'm gonna pour some oil or some gasoline or something on it so that even if the tiniest spark trickles down from heaven, my altar comes alight so that the people can see that my God is the one true God. But Elijah takes a different approach. He pours water on top of it. Now, I hope I don't have to tell you that water is not an accelerant for fire. It's a retardant for fire. It is the very first thing that we go to if there is a fire to try to get a fire out. It is what fire engines drive around ready and prepared to pour on your house should your house catch. It makes no sense that Elijah would step into this place and say, let me pour water on it. Let me make my altar as wet as possible, as unflammable as possible before I ask God to pour out his fire. 
But Elijah had a different plan in mind. He wanted to make sure. So first of all, the prophets of Baal were known for kind of being more like magicians than true prophets or priests, that they often had tricks or ways that they demonstrated the power of Baal, but the people kind of were onto them that all of it wasn't really legit, that they kind of always had a silk rabbit inside their sleeve ready to pop it out. So Elijah said, I want to make sure that you understand that the God that I'm talking about, the God that I'm working on behalf of is not like the God that they're talking about. I don't have a trick up my sleeve. I don't have flint rocks that I'm going to try to do on the sly and get this fire going. I have the one true God. And so to make sure that I demonstrate that to you all the way, I'm going to douse this altar in water. I'm going to pour out the thing that you think is going to prevent the fire from starting, the thing that you think is going to block a fire from starting. I'm going to pour it all over this situation so that when God shows up in this moment, you have no shadow of a doubt that it was the power of the one true God that showed up in this moment. Over the last several months, I feel like there has been water poured over almost every situation in my life where I'm going, God, I thought your power was going to be showing up in this place. God, I thought that we were going to be doubling what was happening this year. And like Blake said, you stand there and you go, God, you spoke this as our year of double. And then one of us lost our job. It feels like you've halved us. It feels like you just poured out water where you're asking for fire. It feels like you spoke that my business was going to expand this year, but then I had to close my doors for three months, God. It feels like you've poured water out over the place where you said you were going to show up and demonstrate your power. But God asked Elijah to pour it out because when his power shows up, he wants to leave no question and no shadow of a doubt that it is the power of the almighty, one true God demonstrating exactly who he is in that place. And it says that Elijah prayed. And to be honest, he prays a prayer kind of like the prayers my son prays, clear and to the point. He doesn't limp around the altar. He doesn't do dances or lash himself or work from sunrise until noon like the prophets of Baal did. He comes before them and he simply prays that God would show himself he asked them to pour it out three times. And after he has done this, he says, it's, we'll pick it up in verse 36. It says that at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are the God of Israel. He's reminding them again who they are. I lost my place, sorry. And that I am your servant, and that I have done all of these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, and, and this people may know that you, the Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. And then, with no delay, with no hesitation, the next thing that happens, it says, and then the fire of the Lord fell and it consumed the altar and it consumed the sacrifice and it even consumed all of the water that was in the trench surrounding the sacrifice to make it clear and to make it plain that the power of God was being demonstrated in this moment. 
And throughout scripture, the fire of God speaks to us of two things. It speaks to us of the power of God, that God is a powerful, consuming God that is over every situation, that nothing is too small for him, that nothing is under him, that nothing is outside of his reach. And it speaks to us of the presence of God that he is the God that is with us. Not like Baal who they cried out to and heard no answer, but the God who was there with them. It reminds them of the, the flame that walked with them in the middle of the desert, that he is the God who is with them. And in this moment, the power of God falls from heaven and reminds the people of Israel that he is the powerful God who he said he is and that he is the present God who he says he is available right here and right in this moment. And, and Elijah called down the fire as it set ablaze on the top of the mountain, blazing for the people who were there to see, but for the people throughout the nation to see as they looked and saw the power of God burning on the top of a mountain declaring who he was, declaring of his wonders, declaring of his greatness, declaring of his strength, declaring of his powers, declaring that he was still the present God available and for their moment and for their situation. And it said that the hearts of the people turned back for their God. They were turned back as on the top of that mountain the fire burned and the people looked unto it and saw it. And it becomes the demonstrated witness of God to the people of Israel. And I think about by the time we get to Matthew, in Matthew 5, 14, it says that you are the light of the world. You are a city set on a hill. We are that burning flame that God has called to be the demonstrated power of who he is and the demonstrated presence of who he is that by the way that we walk through our days by the way that we reflect who he is he has positioned his people to be that same burning power on top of a hill declaring to a nation declaring to a region that he is the all-powerful God that we stand up there in a season of acceleration God has seen fit to put us in a moment that looked like it was pouring water out on us, but instead it was creating a moment and a situation for his power to fall on us, for his power to burn on us, for the people of God to stand up and say, we are that shining city on top of a hill. I have a light that burns inside of me. I have a fire that burns inside of me, and it's not by my works, and it's not by my hand and it's not by anything that I initiated or anything that I started on my own in fact I feel like water has been poured out on me and I couldn't catch a blaze if I wanted to I feel like my heart feels desperate I feel like I don't know where the answers are coming from I feel like I've been lonely I feel like I've been lost I feel like I've been confused because I don't even understand the information that they're putting out to me about this virus anymore and I feel like I can't take anymore because because water keeps getting poured on me and I don't think there's any space left in me for a fire. But God says, watch how I set my people ablaze. 
despite it all, despite what you thought it was going to be, I am going to light my people on fire and I am going to set them on top of a hill to declare who I am, to declare who I am to a local region and to a global region that we would be a people that says, God, set us on fire. God, light us up in the midst of us. And anywhere that you see fit to take our message, let it shine so that people's hearts would be turned back to who you are. I believe that God is stepping us into a moment where he says there are some things that need to be repaired and my people are going to repair those things. Where he says I need you to remember to gather up whether you're gathering physically or where you're whether you're gathering online when you gather remember the name that I have spoken over you remember that I have called you to be united not to be divided not to be speaking language that's divisive not to be throwing darts at each other but to be a united people and I want you to build some new places where a new generation is going to come and is going to catch the fire of what I'm doing and then I want you to let the water pour on you. Don't fight the moment that's happening. Don't try and run away from what's happening. Don't try and fight what you hear God saying. When God says, pour out the water, and he says, pour it out again. When he says, give in the midst of your depleted moment. Show up, though you feel afraid of it. Open those doors if you feel God speaking to it. Close those doors if you feel God speaking to it. You know, several months ago, we were speaking to a business owner, and they said, I was battling with whether or not to keep my business open. This is before the state told them they needed to close down. And I felt God tell me, I just need you to trust in me in this moment. And I need you to go ahead and close those doors. And sometimes it feels like God is asking us to pour water on a moment in our lives. We say, God, that doesn't make any sense. But he says, if you will pour the water on the moment, if you will stand, if you will be still and know that I am God, I want to use your life. I want to use you as a people to demonstrate the power of who I am, that I am a powerful, present God for the right here and for the right now, and that I have a message for a local and a global church, and I'm going to take it everywhere. Come on, do you want to hear the message of God? Go everywhere. And we are going to shine like that city on a hill that he has called us to be. Not people who shrink back from it, not people who hide it under a bushel, but people who say, God, you have set our lives ablaze. So shine, city, shine. That is my declaration over you today for your household, to shine, city, shine. It's my declaration for us as a church family, to shine, city, shine. And we say, God, let us be used to turn hearts towards you. Amen? Amen. I want to pray for you today. God, we thank you that you would call us, that you would choose us. We thank you that you are a present God, that you are a powerful God, that you are right here, God, that you are right now, God. And we just ask you to give us the faith and the trust to walk with you in this moment and that our lives would shine and would burn for you. God, we ask you to let our lives shine and burn for you that many would come, that many would see it, that many would know you. We ask for the heart of a nation to be turned towards you.
because of the demonstrated power and presence of who you are, Father God. And all of God's people in here and out there said, amen. Come on, I think you've got a stronger amen in you than that. Say amen. Before we dismiss today, I just want to say it to you one more time. Shine, city, shine. You are that city set on a hill. Why don't you tell somebody next to you, whether it's in your room or in the chat, say shine, city, shine. I hope that message meant something to you and that it means something in your days to come. Yeah, if this message has blessed you and you want to sow into the ministry of Cornerstone Church, you can do so from wherever you are today. Simply jump on our website at cornerstone.church and you can find the link there so that you can give in whatever way is most convenient to you. And we'll see you back here next time.